The NIDCAP Federation International proudly presents NICU Care with NIDCAP. NIDCAP is short for the Newborn Individualized Developmental Care and Assessment Program. In these conversations, we discuss best practices to support the health and development of hospitalized newborns, infants, and their families, and those that care for them in ICU settings and beyond. My first guest today is a clinical nurse scientist who has worked in newborn intensive care for 42 years and was involved with Dr. Heidi Al's in early scientific studies leading to the creation of NIDCAP. I want to introduce Dr. Gretchen Lahan. Gretchen, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for having me. My next guest today has a dedicated leader with over 30 years of experience in prenatal neonatal nursing that includes more than 20 years of research experience focusing on the care of high-risk infants and their families. I want to welcome onto the show Dr. Dorothy Vittner. Dorothy, how are you today? Hi, Jeff. I'm so glad to be here with both you and Gretchen. So, of course, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show. And thank you guys for checking it out. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, and share this with your friends and family. So today we're going to be talking all about NIDCAP certification. Talk to us a little bit about this. Why would newborn intensive care units want to embrace NIDCAP certification? And if they're interested, how would they go about this? Well, Jeff, a NIDCAP nursery provides an ever-changing environment in which highly skilled and sensitive care is based upon mutual respect, nurturance, and sensitive, uh, sensitive uh, care to babies and families, as well as professional caregivers. A NIDCAP nursery supports development. It enhances these strengths while trying to minimize stress for each involved. And it's that individualized care that uses the relationship-based family integrated approach that yields measurable outcomes. So with the evidence that was based upon the early NIDCAP work, we appreciate that an infant's expecting comfort and well-being and a sense of security, and that's what's so necessary for healthy development. So NIDCAP is both a philosophy and practice that informs our unique way of providing care. And today, my intention is to describe one nursery's journey to become NIDCAP certified. And as I bring forth concrete and practical aspects, I'm going to periodically count on my colleague, Dr. Dorothy Vittner, to remind us about the philosophical underpinnings and rationale for the practical implementation. Yeah, Gretchen, thank you so much. I think when we think about the NIDCAP nursery program and the certification process, we really begin with that self-assessment of the multidisciplinary team that comes together to identify existing strengths and challenges. And it's really that team that collaboratively establishes those priorities for the next steps that are necessary to incorporate the philosophies and practices of NIDCAP into their own setting in a unique and individualized way. So I'm really excited to be here this morning with you both and talking a little bit about some of these um, practical application pieces of the work. So talk to us a little bit about the environment of a NICU. How does it reflect the philosophy? How does it all work? So the environment, it's when, when I think about environment, it's really looking at what's the overall light level, what is a NICU sound like, how much activity is going on. 
there's a variety of units. We still have some of the old-fashioned units where there are many babies within the same four walls. And then we've got the other extreme with very private rooms. Neither one is always the best environment. But I also think it's super important to think about what's the atmosphere? What does it feel like when you enter a unit? And when you walk into a room or you're standing at a baby's bedside, how does that feel? And to know that better and to assess a unit, what we do is a very interesting exercise that I've actually had a great deal of, um, I would say actually fun in different units uh, around the world where we experience what is the path to the baby? So we start out where we think a family might enter the hospital building itself whether that's a bus stop or whether it's a parking lot. If it's nighttime, it might be having to go through the emergency room. And we have someone play the role of going to find the baby in the NICU. We literally walk in completely not knowing how do I get there. If there's an information desk, we can ask. If there are multiple signs, we attempt to follow them. And we learn a great deal by trying to find our way literally to a particular baby in a NICU. And then we can spend a lot of time kind of talking about what were the really nice things um, in, in our unit, in the unit that I'm describing in terms of that particular journey. On the walls were artwork and they were children's artwork. It was in collaboration with the local school. That feels really good. We passed a healing garden which was designed not only for families, but for professionals to go and be able to just kind of quietly reflect and refuel, re-energize, or just get that strength you need to go back into the situation. Um, at the bed space, can we get a sense of who does this baby belong to? You know, whose son or daughter is this? Might there be a Koran or a Bible sitting there that the parent likes to read when they're just spending time with the baby between different caregiving episodes? So having comfortable chairs, having a place that is warm and welcoming, that's the environment that the NIDCAP nursery program seeks to achieve in every unit. Gretchen, I also, as I was listening to you share some of the content and information, I'm also, the whole piece uh -huh. about being individualized, right? And the whole piece about um, it not being all one way or all the other. You know, when we're sleeping, we turn the lights down. But when we're talking with each other, we may need to turn that indirect lighting up so that we can actually see each other's expressions. And so for me, when I think about the environment and I think about some of those physical constraints or physical things that we we all have a unique and different setting, yet the way we use that space really says a lot about who we are. And it says a lot about um, how we interact with others and what the value is. So I'm so excited to um, talk a little bit more about some of the NIDCAP work and some of the uh, NIDCAP processes that we can use to kind of provide that real practical understanding of what it is that we're talking about. 
you know, you guys have me thinking about the time when my children were in the NICU and you would go in and, you know, we put pictures of ourselves on the incubator. We put pictures of the children on the incubator. They, you know, that way they, you know, names and everything else. And yeah, you're right. Everybody kind of makes it their own little environment. And that is so important, I think, not only to make sure that you have a spot for the children, but you have a spot for the family. What ways does a NICU provide evidence that they've accomplished the NIDCAP approach to caring for your infants? So in, in terms of caring for the infant and, and what we're kind of doing, I think, as we go through this, is trying to cover the four main components that we assess with a NIDCAP nursery. Environment, care for the infant, care with the family, care with the staff. So in terms of the infant, it's all about relationship building with each infant. It's forming the relationship that really leads us to be able to have that individualized care. Obviously, you even mentioned, you know, you have the name of the baby right there. No one should be talking about, you know, the 24-weeker or the 26-weeker. We want to talk about Jeffrey and we want to talk about Theo and, and Jenny, um, whatever the baby's name is. But one of the really telling things that I've learned in observing and have worked hard in, in this unit I'm talking about as well as others is that when we're going to provide care with an infant, it would be nice to have a consistent greeting before a thermometer is placed under the baby's arm. And it's really great if we can take let the parent take the lead and follow the parent's lead in what that greeting might be. For example, a little baby who's named Lily. The mother started it and we all followed through. Um, Hello, little Lily pad, how are you doing? And it's a warning that I'm about to place a thermometer under your arm or help reposition you, perhaps adjust a tubing. Now. Some babies, maybe a verbal greeting may or may not be the right thing for that baby. Sometimes, especially with maybe the more critically unstable babies, it may just be everyone getting the consistent greeting to be, let me just place my hand in a containing, slightly firm way on your body as a warning that something's about to happen, like having the thermometer placed under your arm. So the greeting prior to care with a baby is a real hallmark of how much effort has this particular unit done to really provide individualized supportive care with babies, not to babies. And then a huge hallmark that has become much better known and better integrated, but almost every unit still has improvements to make and, and this is a perfect item for me to ask um, my colleague Dorothy to talk about because she's done a lot of research in this area, is the fact that we really want to promote the best place for a baby to recover from birth and to recover period and to grow and mature and gain weight is being held skin to skin with his or her mom or dad. And skin to skin holding cannot be excuse me, cannot be done too early, nor too much, nor too long. And, and I'm sure Dorothy will give us a few more tips on that from her years of researching this. So 
when we think about that skin-to-skin opportunity, so holding that diaper-clad naked infant on our bare chest, you know, taking off our shirt, taking off the bra, and having as much opportunity for skin-to-skin contact as possible, there's a plethora of evidence to talk about how beneficial this is for the baby to help steady their heart rate, to help steady their breathing, to help support them to gain weight faster, to go home from the hospital sooner. And so we also know that there are so many benefits for families and even healthcare professionals, if you will. So when we think about um, strategies like skin to skin holding, a lot of my research was around, if we know it's so good, Why is it that every baby is not held skin to skin every day in every NICU or cardiac intensive care unit? And so really delving into some of that complexity to assure the security of um, attending to all of the technical care that the baby needs. So there's a real, you really need an adept um, caregiver to facilitate skin to skin holding in a safe and effective way. And so it can be really powerful for parents. And yet at the same time, it can take a lot of coordination. You may need to partner with the respiratory therapist. You may need to partner with another um, developmental therapist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, another nurse, maybe even a nurse practitioner to help you maneuver all that you need to maneuver and assure that that skin-to-skin holding opportunity happens in a safe, secure, and supportive way. And I think you know, that's not a simple task. There's different ways that we can move the baby from the bed to the mother's chest or the father's chest. Um, There's different approaches that we can take. And it really is incredibly complicated. So very often what I find is people have very good intentions. They can support the concept, yet may not have the practical skill set to be able to do it effectively. Or I hear people talk about, well, we we have, um, you know, if you don't have at least a half an hour, we need some recovery time for the baby to steady off their breathing and to regain their energy um, because of the transfer. And I would encourage us to think, is there an opportunity? Is there a strategy? Is there a way that we can diffuse some of that stress so that it is not so stressful, that we really diminish some of those Um, recovery times, if you will. And what I found is talking with families and also talking with the healthcare team, people come up with really innovative approaches. You know, sometimes we um, use a standing transfer technique where the mother kind of scoops the baby up from the bed right at the level of where the baby is, and then we kind of guide the mother and the baby into the chair. There's different approaches that we can take based on the baby's unique needs, but also thinking about the family. Did the mom just have surgery and she's really not as mobile as we as she could be? How do we support that? What we do depends on the circumstance, and we need to have those that knowledge to be able to 
um, do things in slightly different ways. And when we think about the NIDCAP nursery program, it's a process to foster some of that collaborative efforts in creating unique and individualized plans of care with appropriate actions and delegating steps um, with defining timelines and opportunities that are mutually supportive. And when skin to skin holding is a common practice and enjoyed by both parents, but I'm thinking about when a mother really enjoys skin to skin holding, it really can lead directly into another of the one of the more complicated ways that we care for babies. And that's all about feedings. So promoting breast milk in, in many units, donor milk is used for any babies under 32 weeks if the mother's breast milk may not be available. So a strong commitment to breast milk as the best option for feeding very, very soon. Um, and if a mom is enjoying holding her baby skin to skin, oftentimes what we want to promote with the NIDCAP nursery program and the supportive individualized care is, let's just let that baby kind of wander to the mother's breast and nipple and do what we call uh, just sort of play at breast. It's not about feeding yet, it's getting used to what it feels like there, what it smells like there. It supports the mother's milk production enormously and it's a good pre-feeding activity. Other things that are important when we think about how we feed babies is that we want it to be all about when the baby is showing signs of readiness. So if a baby is making little mouthing behavior, then he or she is asking for something to suck on maybe, or just at the mouth, we're not sure until we try carefully with that baby. If a baby enjoys sucking on his own finger or hand or a pacifier, then maybe if they can suck well and breathe well, maybe it's time to see whether they can also coordinate swallow with sucking and breathing. And not necessarily just read the textbook about the correct age that a baby might be able to coordinate suck, swallow and breathe. Each baby is a bit different if we can follow that baby's lead in feeding, then babies tend to feed sooner than thought. And obviously, if you can feed well and you're getting good breast milk, you're going to grow better. So there's a lot of things that we need to be thinking about when it comes to the baby. Let's turn the table a little bit and talk about care for the families. Um, how are families cared for in the NICU? I mean, I know for myself, we were in two different hospitals, two different NICUs, two different states. And there was a lot of different ways that we were treated wonderfully. Talk to us a little bit about helping out with the families. So yeah, it is, it, it's a little bit artificial, I'll admit, to be separating out care with the infant and care with the family because we hope they're not separated at all. And one certainly blends into the other. It brings me back to environment. What does it feel like for a family? Is the mother or father welcome 24 hours a day to come and be with their son or daughter, or in your case, sons and daughter, uh, to be a crucial part of that baby's development despite the need for intensive care? 
how do we involve families in decision-making? And decision-making, not just about their own infant, but decision-making about, about how we decided what color to paint the walls in the hallway, or how we designed the rooms, or how we make decisions in the hospital at, at, at wide. So families being part of every decision-making council, including the unit practice council, perhaps the pediatric department council, and then back to family with infant together. Morning rounds, medical or multidisciplinary rounds are done with babies in almost every NICU, almost every morning. How is the family included? Are they welcome to be part of that? In most units, I think in this day and age, that is true. It certainly has been true in the units that I work in. In the unit where I was very much involved in this journey to become NIDCAP certified, families were very much welcome to be a, a, a huge part of rounds. In fact, a number of families planned their day around being at rounds, which are not always um, given on a definite time frame, but a rough time frame, perhaps rounds start at nine o'clock. Families would plan to be there. And what many of the physicians, and I'm thinking about the chief of neonatology in particular, he would get to that bedside where a mother or father, or sometimes both were present and say, could you tell us about your baby? So it was actually the parent who would present the baby in rounds and thoroughly knowledgeable about what was going on, explaining to the other team members, including residents and neonatal fellow, nursing, different therapists, what their impression was of what the baby was going through and had accomplished and what were the current problems whether it's about the baby having episodes of prolonged pauses in breathing, or whether it's the baby making some progress, decreasing on the amount of breathing support they need. But that was a wonderful model that I certainly promote whenever I have the opportunity that families are not just included in decision-making, but are an integral part of the daily rounds and decision-making. I think, too, thinking about some of that system-wide change that's continuous and occurs in active and supportive and a reflective way. And we integrate families into all aspects of the process, which can be really challenging, but it also totally influences what the outcome is. Right. So the other ways that families are cared for is a little bit what I've talked about and I won't reiterate. What does it feel like for a family? Is the environment conducive to the family's level of comfort in being with their infant? Is there space for the family? Is there a, a place where they get a little bit of respite, a family lounge where they can relax and have something to eat? Ideally, there's a space not only at the bedside for the family, but space where a family could actually spend the night, take a shower, be there as much as they want to with the baby. That can be very challenging for different units. In, in, in the unit that I'm concentrating on for, for this conversation, very limited space and had to be creative. But the creative solution was 
right outside of the doors to this unit was a postpartum area. And with the collaboration of the mother baby unit, we were able to say, could we leave a couple of those rooms at least to be the last ones utilized if needed so that we could use them as family space for the mothers and fathers of babies in the newborn ICU. Not ideal, but a nice creative solution given the constraints of that particular unit. I, I think that there's two other areas I would be remiss in not discussing when we talk about how does a NIDCAP unit care for families? We have to think about the other family members. We have to think about grandparents and siblings and Maybe it's not a formal family member. Maybe for this mother, the most important person is her best friend who's gonna be there to help her care for this baby after discharge. Parents define who their families are and, and it's important we include them. In this unit, we used child life from the pediatric department in a couple of really nice collaborative ways. In one example I'm thinking of, we had a couple of mothers who were quite young and still in high school. And we were able to use the child life department to provide tutoring to these mothers so that they could continue their education while their baby was spending several months in the newborn ICU. The other example that child life was incredibly helpful for, and this actually was true in a couple of units that I've uh, worked in, was being able to provide play for siblings. In one way, very practically speaking, if a mother had several other children and she had to bring them to come be with the baby in intensive care, it was almost a childcare situation but far better than that because the child life therapist would also work with the children at whatever age they were, the siblings, to understand about this baby in the NICU. And children are incredibly sensitive. And I'm thinking of children actually the age of yours, Jeff, where they ask the questions and even if they can't ask, they're worried. Is my baby gonna live or is my baby brother going to be sick if they do. And that requires and is very beneficial if we do have child life therapists who can support those siblings. So those are incredibly valuable components that speak very highly to the investment that a unit has in caring not only for the babies, but caring for the babies with families. So we've talking about taking care of the babies. We've talking about taking care of the families. Let's turn the conversation one more time. How does a NIDCAP nursery care for its staff members? That's that's great because caring for staff members. First of all, when I work with staff and it's all about they initially think that NIDCAP is all about having to do lots of different complicated things with babies and families. And then I say, well, how do we care for staff? And initially the reaction is, NICAP cares about the staff. Well, yes, of course. Um, it, it's the same model of caring 
It's looking at each individual, whether it be a baby, a family member, or a staff member, appreciating where is this person on a continuum of maturation and professional development? And how can we build on the strengths and competence while trying to minimize some of the stress? And there's a lot of stress in newborn ICUs for staff. And at first, I wasn't sure how this would go when we started the NIDCAP nursery program. So I would sit with small groups of staff. And it's so important to make sure that this is done at any time of the day and night. You've got to go in at two or three in the morning and spend the same committed time with the night staff. Um, night staff cover, almost all units are 12 hours. Night staff cover 50% of a unit and provide whatever that atmosphere and quality of care is like. So sitting with small groups of staff and saying, how do we care for one another? And I have to say that so many times I would actually be so struck with the amount of care that these mostly women had for one another. NICU nurses tend to work in a NICU for years on end. This staff, many of them had worked together for 20, even 30 years, and they knew everything about one another's lives. They had celebrated life milestones together. They had grieved together for staff who lose their parent or whose spouse has an unfortunate tragedy and death. They've cared for one another through the ups and downs of life. And I say, well, how, what does that look like? And they found so many creative ways to celebrate and to do things for one another. They might literally do financial collections when one among them was in need of money for an unexpected problem. They have lots of feeding. Feeding is important, nurturing, food. Nutrition and nurturance go hand in hand and they would have a potluck to help one another. They would celebrate with cakes and cupcakes and um, it was really eye-opening to me. And I think besides how staff care for one another, and sometimes I would have to say, how do we celebrate the little accomplishments? Because we can't always count on the financially strapped institution to do this for the staff member of a NICU. How can it happen without counting on that and just being kind of not feeling good about that? And I learned a great deal by listening, which should be no surprise. The other concrete example, I, I do wanna spend a few moments describing because it was kind of an amazing situation that happened. We talked about that the staff really need a place, a lounge, a staff lounge. Where do they take their break? Where do they eat their lunch or their dinner? And it was kind of a, a really small room and it, it didn't look nice. You could see no one had taken pleasure and pride in this space. And so we together decided to renovate the staff lounge and people donated what they could. By the end of this little renovation of staff caring for staff, 
there, the lounge looked amazing. It was a great renovation. There were personalized curtains. One of the staff members' mother made. The room had been painted. They had gotten the medical group to cover the cost to provide a really excellent, excellent, huge refrigerator because there's a lot of staff who bring their meals. We had to have two microwaves. My contribution was there was a lot of talk about, you know, always running out of the disposable utensils. And actually, wouldn't it be nice to have silverware? So I provided the silverware and, you know, just really looking at how can we make the space truly be refueling and re-energizing so that when you have 15 minutes to run in there and grab a bite to eat, you have a comfortable chair and a table big enough for the number of people typically there and can enjoy a little bit of camaraderie in a nice space before you go back to that intensive care environment. So at the core of all we do is supporting these developing relationships embedded in nurturing and emotional connectedness in all that we do. In those examples of how we care for each other, intention goes a long way. Letting somebody know that you understand their experience sometimes gives enough energy and strength to continue. You know, we can use different strategies like reflective support. We could have patient care conferences where we can talk about a complex um, infant and family situation to really talk through what's the best way to approach this. What am I experiencing? What are my peers experiencing? What's this infant and family experiencing? And so embedding all of those conversations into the emotional connectedness, having um, crit critical incident debriefings if we have a situation or a circumstance with an untoward outcome. How can we be aware of our own experiences at the emotional level but also at the cognitive level in terms of what goes into our decision-making and how do we do that? And so there really are a lot of different opportunities. And like Gretchen said, when you involve people in the decision-making process and you have an open mind rather than an, a predefined outcome, sometimes um, the journey is just as amazing as the destination. So we've talked about how we care for our children, how we care for our families, and how we care for our staff members. Just to kind of wrap up, once a nursery has been certified, what does it take to maintain this level of care year-round? That's a good question, Jeff, because it's, it's not an easy task. It's an ever-changing dynamic process. And so when a nursery has gone through the whole process of the self-assessment and getting the NIDCAP Federation to come and see and look at the evidence and become certified, the first thing that needs to happen is to celebrate. Um, we have got to celebrate. And the unit has to decide what does that celebration look like and feel for us? And maybe it's having Dr. Alls come and having a conference that celebrates. Maybe it's having a huge party in the atrium in which the top administrators come and make 
statements of support and expressing the administration's pleasure and pride in these accomplishments. It can look different in, in, in the situation of, of the unit that I supported through certification. We had the entire atrium filled. There were balloons. There were tons of graduates of the NICU. Uh, both the, the children and the families. And everyone was really having a nice celebration with food as well, uh, a beautiful cake. But ongoingly, we have to build in. How do we look at the areas in our assessment that maybe weren't quite as strong as we wanted because nothing's ever perfect. And how do we plan to continue to assess and improve the areas that are less strong than others? We have to have a team, always a team, that can reassess on an ongoing basis. And one might say that that could be every six months or every year, but ensuring the ongoing quality of the work where we have hit our stride at this point of certification, but we want to ensure that it's maintained. And, and that's really important. There has to be not a single champion of this work, but the work has to have been done in such a manner that everyone in that unit, from families to staff to administration, has felt the ownership of this tremendous achievement and accomplishment. And I think that's the key to success and the ongoing planning. Yeah, and currently there are 25 different NIDCAP training centers that have um, trainers and uh, professionals that support this work. So those 25 different NIDCAP training centers around the world support um, with education, support with consultation, support with providing some of that information, because it is a continuous process. So it's not just a destination. Um, even when we reach NIDCAP um, certification, whether it be at the individual level as a uh, NIDCAP professional, or we reach that in context of the NIDCAP nursery program, we really embody lifelong learning and it's a process and it continues on and it takes continual effort. So once we've achieved what our goal is, it really takes effort to continue on, to continue to reevaluate, to continue to identify what are our strengths, what are our priorities, how are things changing, how can we reevaluate what we've accomplished and what we'd like to accomplish. And as Gretchen said, really rejoice in some of those um, accolades of, geez, we've worked really hard and um, things are going well and we're really proud of that. What are we most proud of? What are our strengths? What are we doing well? How can we do that more often? And so it really is a mind shift, if you will, for many um, hospital systems or healthcare teams. And sometimes we then grow into other areas with other populations. And we say, Jesus is working really well in the NICU. Can we extend this into pediatrics? Um, and so for me, that's really exciting. And I feel like we still have a lot of work to do in terms of assuring that every baby 
in a hospital setting. Um, and every family with that infant is supported to their fullest potential. So ladies, thank you so much for spending time with us. And again, thank you guys out there for checking out the show. Gretchen, if we can have one last final thought for today that kind of wraps up everything that we've been discussing, what advice would you have for our listeners? You know, I, I hope that having reviewed specific and practical examples, and that's all they were, were some examples of one nursery's journey toward NIDCAP certification, <sighs> that the listeners have been able to gain a clear vision of what NIDCAP care looks like, and more importantly, I think, what it feels like for infants, families, and professional caregivers. The challenge right from the beginning of our NIDCAP work was to find ways to integrate the necessary, difficult, highly technological aspects of intensive care with a really respectful and humane approach, building on the infant's emerging strength and development and trying to minimize the inherent stress and iatrogenic negative effects that a newborn intensive care may have. Um, simultaneously nurturing and promoting that most valuable healing aspect of the intimate relationship between infants and their mothers and fathers. The NIDCAP nursery program provides a clear roadmap. It leads to success in meeting this challenge and it can be implemented in any clinical setting with infants and families. So thank you very much for the opportunity to share just how this has been possible in one unit's journey and with that we'd like to thank you for listening to our ongoing collaborations and providing the best care to infants and their families please don't forget to tune in for future episodes for more information please visit nidcap.org that's n-i-d-c-a-p.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NIDCAP and on Instagram at NIDCAP Federation International. Until next time, farewell from NIDCAP, improving the future for newborns and their families.